वेलकम टू सन टॉक द सन टॉकर्स अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द ग्राउंड्स ऑफ इंट्रोस्पेक्शन वी विल थिंक अबाउट द नेचर प्रॉब्लम्स एंड द बेसिस ऑफ इंट्रोस्पेक्शन व्हेन आर सब्जेक्टिव इंट्रोस्पेक्टिव रिपोर्ट्स मोर और लेस एक्यूरेट आवर्स अवेयरनेस ऑफ पेन different from awareness of say a fact is the introspective state empirically distinct from the others is it analogous to some self referential physical systems can some correlate or proxy of introspection be measured does introspection need a language what is it like to misunderstand oneself can toddlers introspect why is it possible to train oneself to introspect better and would introspection become fully understood and accessible in the long run we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today professor christopher hill he is a professor of philosophy at brown university in the us this is his first visit to india and as he puts it he is in a state of perpetual excitement professor pramod pande he teaches linguistics at gnu in new delhi his training has been in both literature and linguistics and professor shishir roy he is a quantum physicist currently working on neuroscience cognitive activities and quantum biology he is from niyas in bangalore So Chris why don't we set the ball rolling with you um maybe at a general place to try and understand what introspection is it's obviously a word we use every now and then probably without understanding it in as sharp terms as might be possible or um desirable so what's the nature of introspection is it declarative is it is it and why do we have difficulty accessing it uh, we'll get to the why question but why don't we start on the nature of things and we'll see how it goes Okay um uh inner awareness is another word for introspection that um uh maybe makes it seem less abstract and right. uh, ordinary so awareness of one's mental states That's right so um yeah I I think of introspection as awareness of one's own mental states um we're uh that means that introspection is occurring all the time mm. we're always aware of our thoughts of our emotions of what we're perceiving uh what our bodies are what sensations there are in our bodies um just for that reason uh it's pervasiveness it's a, a phenomenon of great importance um but it's also connected with other things that are very important like self understanding mm. um and uh self deception mm. uh and consciousness Hmm. Um Freud thought you could just or he seems to have thought that you could just define uh consciousness in terms of inner awareness that the mental states that are conscious are uh exactly the ones that you're aware of introspectively but um uh that should be very controversial um because for example we think of animals as uh conscious as having you know conscious visual experiences and um having emotions like ours anger and fear um 
And yet, uh, and Chris, where are you on that today? So Freud may have thought what he thought a hundred uh, well, uh, I mean, odd I years think, ago. Um, uh, so consciousness is sort of a, um, a, a somewhat different topic. Sure. Uh, but um, uh, I, I think what's necessary to do in approaching consciousness is to, to draw a distinction between various kinds. So um, uh, there, I think Freud was right. I mean, there is one meaning of the word conscious is to be a middle state that we're, we're, we have introspective awareness of. But, right. you know, there are other notions of consciousness or other forms of consciousness. And I was just about to say that, you know, animals seem to be uh, conscious, but they, cognitive ethologists tell us that they don't have any kind of mental vocabulary. They can't, they don't have the concept of belief or the concept of thought. Um, they don't even have the concept of perception or the concept of emotion. So would it be fair so, to say that they don't really introspect? So, the, so, the, so I mean, the, the natural conclusion is that they're just not capable of introspection, but um, yet they're conscious. So... Uh, there has to be some form of consciousness other than this one that Freud was uh, uh, interested in. So in, yeah. in this more commonplace version of introspection where one is thinking of experiences, mm -hmm. where one is thinking of accessing the past and mm -hmm. the events that might have happened and rearranging them and interpreting them and so mm -hmm. on. Uh, so are we suggesting that all of these various cognitive activities, if one calls them that, are not there in the animal kingdom? Is is, is that? Uh, no, I think they are there. I mean, yeah. uh, ethologists, learning, ethologists tell us that animals do have beliefs, hmm. uh, do have uh, perceptual experiences, do have emotions, uh, but they don't have concepts of those emotions. So, right. you know, to think about something, you need to have concepts of it. To think about uh, the color red, you need the concept of red. Right. And, you know, although animals, uh, ethologists tell us, have beliefs and have perceptual experiences and have emotions, and, you know, they don't have concepts that they can use to think about these things. And, you know, it seems like to be aware of a belief, uh, that you have a belief, you have to be able to think about beliefs. And so you have to have the concept of belief. So it seems like animals aren't capable of the sort of inner awareness that, um, that humans are. So if you just say consciousness just consists in inner awareness, probably you're excluding animals from consciousness, and that doesn't seem to be an intuitive right, idea. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And, and Pramod, is it fair to say that uh, if one were to call or think of introspection the way we've started off, and, you know, obviously there's introspection of pain and there's introspection of introspective awareness, rather, of hunger, of knowing that today is a Sunday, um, or... Of, of having an introspective understanding of one's actions. Does all of this need an inner language? Um, and obviously, we can use the word language in, in mm. as technical a way as you want to as a linguist. First of all, the use of introspection. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling if it is a, used in a very general sense, then it doesn't make sense to me. Right. Introspection must be something that, an action or activity. Right. That, uh, especially takes place on certain occasions. Mm -hmm. My feeling is that uh, today, in today's world... So in that sense, it would depart a little bit from what Chris was saying. It's not something that's happening all the time, but you no, do it I would depart. every now and then yeah. in, in special situations. Yeah, it's a deliberate, willful kind of action mm -hmm. that you ask yourself to mm -hmm. engage in. Mm -hmm. What goes on is your conscious, you know, the inner speech or your consciousness being active all the time, or your attention being either here or there. It's always on something. But something. then it's just like thinking, right? That's it's, right. It's, so Not necessarily. So introspecting th is just thinking of oneself? Introspecting or? is going inward 
and mm-hmm. trying to see yourself, be aware of your feelings, of your thoughts, of yourself. It's like uh, the, the question is how the background to this is that in today's world you are preoccupied with your attention being outward. Mm-hmm. That is, it is you know, more often than not people are always looking at things, thinking about other people, other situations, and there is not much awareness about one's own inner self, especially when it comes to growing, in you know, growing inwards. Right. There's very little attention to this. So, so, so long as intention is turned inwards, yeah. you would say that something of the nature of introspection is that, happening. Yeah. And, you know, beyond a point where it's not too concerned about the definition of introspection, no, what one is. No. But if one were to go to the mechanics question yeah. and the language question I asked, yeah. where would you be in that? I would uh, think that it is a conscious term and language that is inner, inner speech, what we refer to, mm-hmm. is something that you have no control over. You have control over something else that people who work on inner speech have not uh, really distinguished from inner speech. Mm-hmm. That would be silent speech. So there is silent speech. That means you are speaking, but you are actually silent. What does that Now, mean? this is different. Something like, say, if I'm saying a poem to myself or repeating a statement made by others. The difference is that in silent speech, you will you can feel... You just stay at the pre-vocalized you can state? Feel the, you can feel... The articulation Inside just up to that bodily, yeah. yeah, bodily, bodily. You can feel certain centers within yourself, your vocal cords, your, you know, your tongue or teeth. Whereas in inner speech, there may be various states. Now, right, people who work on inner speech always have this, you know, controversial thing whether there is pronunciation going with syntax, thought, right. or there is nothing like this. It's all unstructured, unsymbolized thinking. But if you distinguish between inner speech, which is uncontrolled uh, thinking and the engagement of the mind, then that is one thing and silent speech is another. And the two must be distinguished. Inner speech is more like involuntary in more you, often than you, not. You, you can't make grammatical mistakes in inner speech. You are less concerned with it. Probably you are not so much... Um, even aware, if you make grammatical mistakes, you make grammatical mistakes. That is, you are not aware of doing something that is not the norm. Right. Whatever is your ability, your competence, that finds expression in in, in inner speech. So, right. You don't look at it from the point of view of norms of language, because you are not aware of your language that way. Because it is you yourself. So you are talking to yourself. Norm comes when there is kind of interaction. Sure, with, with we'll get people. we'll get back to that because there's some interesting questions in there. Shishir, if we go to you and maybe bring the accuracy question a little bit, um, and if, if we've we've thought of introspection in a couple of contexts and maybe more, and one can always add to that and modify that. But if one were to ask the introspective accuracy question, um, how accurate is introspection? And when and when not is it accurate? And what does that tell us about the nature of introspection? Where would you be on that? This is an interesting aspect. But before that, hmm. uh, let me tell you why being a trained physicist, I'm interested. Why are you even bothered with this? Yeah, introspection <laughs> and empiricisms. Right. Because basically I'm an empiricist. Right. But uh, when we are uh, looking the some of the important concepts in science, modern science, especially in modern physics, mm-hmm. then we found that uh, 
there are similar concepts found in ancient Indian wisdom or even Greek thoughts. Mm-hmm. But uh, for modern scientists, we have a lot of uh, observational instruments, many, many accurate instruments like telescopes, microscopes, etc., by which we can take data and we can build up a theory, we can predict. But uh, as far our knowledge goes, in those days, there are no such instruments or observational procedures. But they got the parallel concepts. So the problem is that... And, and, and are, they, are, they, are they clearly working on this, so you must be believing in this, but are they truly really parallel? Are they, are, are they similar or one is uh, kind of making category mistakes or false resemblances here and there? No, there are uh, some concepts are very similar mm-hmm. and there is convergence between these concepts. So in a sense, Shishir, you're drawing this fork between empiricism and introspection yes. and kind of saying that introspection seems like a method or a way of uh, yeah. getting to some kind of knowledge which can sometimes also be gotten to via empiricism but yeah. it seems to have a certain potent character which takes it a long distance and not just yeah uh, uh, now the problem is that hmm. uh, their methodology is different from the methodology we use in modern science mm-hmm. so people say that uh, they got it from meditative experience or say kind of introspections. Mm-hmm. Normally, we, we mean by introspection that it does not depend on sensory data. Mm-hmm. But... Is, uh, is, 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 that, is that accurate? Like, so when one is in an st- introspective state, are we necessarily cut off from the world? Uh, I mean, mostly, not... Sure, okay. Yeah. But uh, the problem is that uh, if you say concepts, then it requires language. Mm-hmm. or attention, say visual attention, you need visual imaging, imaginary. Mm-hmm. So how these concepts or this visual imagery are being drawn from inside? As a physicist, it's very difficult to understand that without using language or kind of input from the external world, mm-hmm. how they build up this kind of concepts. Sure. Uh, so I can give so it. So how, how, how does one evaluate this? How does one analyze this further? Uh, well, uh, these, uh, again, may depend on... So what, what does one do in meditation? I know there are different types and so on, but w- what is the method? Normally, as far as you understand, they use kind of meditative experience. What What is meditative experience? Like, uh, if I say that uh, what's the origin of the physical universe? Mm-hmm. In modern cosmology, we say that uh, the whole physical universe is created from fluctuation of a point in a vacuum called quantum vacuum. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you look at the ancient wisdom, Indian and also in Western wisdom, then they use similar concept like uh, spondo, or kind of vibration in Kashmiri Shaivism, Obhyanagopto analyzed in details Mm -hmm. that from similar ideas, they also conceived of a physical universe. But in our time, we have a lot of experimental observations. So this kind of a thought, is it directed? Does it have a content? Is introspection always directed, Chris? 
Uh, Does it need a, an, an object? I, I think of it as, as requiring an object. Um, like all, I think all awareness requires an object. Um, you're always aware of something. It's a it's a rel- relation. It's directed. It's it's directed. Um, uh, I have been very interested to hear what uh, Promod and uh, um, Shashir were saying. Right. Um, so um, I th- um, Shashir started talking about reliability of introspection, and that's something of great interest in um, uh, psychology in the state you know, the United States now. Um, there's um, uh, it's interesting because there are two experimental literatures, mm-hmm. uh, one suggesting that introspection is not very reliable at all, and one beginning to suggest that it is somewhat reliable. Um, so, so the not reliable camp would be Nisbet and others? Uh, the not reliable would be, yeah, I would say, Richard Nisbet and Timothy Wilson, who... Right. Um, so there's um, a famous uh, experiment that was published in um, 1979 um, uh, involved uh, setting up a table at a mall, uh, a huge mall in the U.S., and um, putting four women's stockings on this table mm-hmm. um, and um, inviting passers-by to uh, pick up the stockings and evaluate them. They, they you know, misrepresented themselves. They said they were... Um, um, doing a consumer satisfaction uh, survey. Uh, so people would stop. <laughs> Somebody's uh, always doing consumer <laughs> yeah, psychologists satisfaction Psychologists always service. lie to their subjects about, uh, um, <laughs> they, I, I worry about them. So maybe they get in the habit and so they always lie to their children and their, uh, <laughs> their, um, uh, each other. Um, but um, um, so passersby would stop and pick up these stockings and would stretch them and look at them and feel them. Right. Um, and um, then Nisbet and Wilson would ask them, um, well, which is, which is the highest quality? Or which, uh, and um, they would say, oh, well, these. Uh, and then they and Nisbet and Wilson will say, why? And they said, well, I felt it and it was silkier and uh, it was uh, more elastic. And uh, right. I look at, you know, when I look at it now, it's, uh, it, it's um, uh, a finer weave. Um, but all the stockings on the table were exactly the same. Uh, right. What um, uh, people were choosing, because th- they always chose the stockings on the right if they were right-handed, and always chose the stockings on the left if they were left-handed. So they were just confabulating these uh, reasons that they had, like they, it had felt silkier to them. But, it, it, it hadn't felt silkier. Where is introspection in this, uh, Well, Chris? I mean, they're, they're, it... they're wrong about their own reasons uh, for uh, saying something. So uh, it fe- they say that it felt silkier to them. But it couldn't have because it was, you know, the same. So you're saying they misunderstand themselves. They misunderstand themselves. So there are lots of experiments That's like crazy, this. Isn't uh, it? Yeah, I mean, people who are hypnotized and told to pick up a cup when they wake up will go over and pick up the cup, and then you ask them, "Well, why did you do that?" And you know, then they you really, rationalize it. Yeah, they just rationalize it. I mean, they say, "Well, I, I, I'll tell you why I did it. I, I I'm, uh, I, I've, I've wanted to clean up the room all day, and uh, you know, this is part of tidying up the room." Right. So there's, you know, there's a a lot of experimental literature do suggesting we, do we, that do we pe- misunderstand ourselves all the time. Um, uh, you know, there are different schools. There are different right. schools of thought about this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there are experiments on the other side. Um, a and I'll just be very brief. And but um, there's a fellow named uh, Her- Russell Herbert right. um, who. 
uh, gives his subjects beepers, and they go off at odd uh, inter- random intervals, and then they're supposed to write down in diaries what, what was before their minds uh, uh, when the beeper went off. And this um, reduces the um, reliance on memory, and it also... Since you have to sub- do it right away. Yeah, they do it right away. And right. also, these people aren't psychologists or, or psychology students or anything, so they have no prior sure. theories. Sure. And um, so Herbert's found a lot of agreement uh, among his subjects about various things. Uh, so for, by and large, his, his case is more accurate? Um, and, and, well, if I can just go on for one more second. Um, so uh, one thing that's very common among his subjects is to distinguish between three types of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they call it inner speech, inner hearing, and um, uh, imageless uh, uh, speech. That's um, beautiful. Uh, and um, it turns out if you put them in a scanner and they say they're undergoing um, uh, inner hearing, uh, then the parts of the brain, uh, specifically uh, Wernicke's area, that uh, is involved in, in decoding speech, uh, overt speech of other people, is active when, when the subject purports. So Herbert has this new method, and, and, and uh, it looks like scanners are beginning to support the testimony of his subjects. So that's, an, uh, that's another perspective, another research tradition uh, that suggests that maybe inter- introspection is pretty reliable. So it, it's and, or maybe there are sorts kinds of things on which introspection is reliable and kinds of things on which it's not so. That's another question. I mean, it seems to be very reliable about pain, uh, but, but but because um, one would never misunderstand whether one is in pain or is it right. possible. Yeah, that's right. Um, one would so, never misunderstand whether one is hungry. Um, you you can't make a mistake about being hungry. That's right. But I, but in the case of Herbert's subjects. Um, uh, they seem to be reliable about their thoughts, whether you know the kind of thoughts they're having, not just about pain or some bottle, other bodily sensation. So, Prabhu, is is this a business of speaking or hearing? So, when one says inner speech, I think the beautiful point that yeah. Chris has introduced here is inner speech and inner hearing. Yeah, and there's something about hearing. This is more receptive. Um, yeah. Um, you're not an agent in the conventional sense. Yeah. So where would you be on something of this nature? Yes, I think that these are two different modes, mm-hmm. sort of channels. And so speech and hearing are traditionally... So when, and so when, when Shishir speaks of meditation, yeah. uh, and I know there are different traditions and different ways of doing things. Right. Uh, how, do, how, how do we mix the two? For me, the meditation, of course, is understood in different ways, but uh, the... Uh, I'm a Sahaja Yogi apart from being a linguist, which means... Sahaja Yogi, what does that mean? <laughs> I do practice Sahaja Yoga meditation, Sure. Where it, which is very much like Vipassana, mm-hmm. where meditation simply means trying to get to a state of thoughtlessness, thoughtless awareness, they call it. If you ask what is thoughtless awareness, Buddha explained it very well. Mm-hmm. When you go from one thought to another... The gap between the two is the thoughtless awareness. So you have to increase it. You have to increase sort of the pull gap. Up. Yeah. So have fewer thoughts. Yeah. Why? Why? So you is don't this? go from having thoughts to having zero thoughts. You re- keep reducing them till you. Yeah. Have you keep th- till you gain thoughtlessness. Yeah. Now the point is, why do we? Why do we need to do that? Yeah. Because it, we need to do that. Why should we not have thoughts? Huh, we have thoughts anyway, as we. As I think, uh, it has been sort of pointed out and generally accepted almost involuntarily. Of course, studies may show that some people, some do not accept that they do any thinking. Right. Often they are without any thoughts. But uh, in a majority of cases, thoughts go on. What happens when thoughts go on is that there is nothing like our inner awareness. 
you know, mm-hmm. that is no awareness about your own inner thoughts. Often it is guided by the external world, let's say external scholarship. Sure, sure, sure. So that's fine. All, all, everything around the world occupies your mind. And you as an individual do not have the opportunity or time to think about things on your own or to find things on your own. So it is necessary for you to be able to, to be thoughtless. So is it is it possible and helpful to bring in this paradigm of speaking and hearing in this context? Like so, when you say we reduce no. the increase the gap yeah. and reduce the number of thoughts, yeah. you suspend both. I mean, hearing uh-huh. is something that if something happens, then you hear it. But again, but this inner, inner speech, hearing, inner hearing. So what might yeah. that be? Okay, that uh, simply means that probably your consciousness is active all the time. So you seem to be aware of some thoughts, ideas going on. You may not be actually producing, just speaking, uh, but you you sort of, your inner self is talking to you, telling you. However, what happens, uh, the reason is that even scientifically, it's now being proved that when you are without any thought, uh, your brain can come to solve problems in a way that conscious thinking deliberation will not. For example, Einstein spoke about it. He discovered theory of relativity when he was totally, there was no thought in him and suddenly the whole theory came came upon him. Well, that's fine. I mean, some of this may be, hmm, hmm, so, hmm. So in the meditative tradition, thoughtless awareness is the way to get to the superconscious. That is the, uh, that pervades the universe. If I am full of thoughts, then I am within my own world. The point is, how do I relate to the uh, superconscious so world? It's a way of tuning into whatever might Connecting. be out there. Connecting. Do these words have any meaning at all, Shishar? What, uh, no, what does it mean? I, I, I mean, have the following you, problem. You wear your empirical hat. Yeah. No, problem is uh, like uh, in uh, meditative states, say, uh, I, I can tell you the story of Shetukedu, the son of Buddhalok. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shetukedu got experience of Atman or Brahman. And his father was a great rishi, Hindu rishi. Mm-hmm. Now, if I ask a Muslim, mm-hmm. he won't experience Atman or Brahman. Yeah. Or if I say Buddhist, he won't say... He won't see Jesus Atman. Christ in his dreams. Yeah. No, he would say there is no... They will say there is no Atman. There right. is no Brahman. No. Buddhist. So you're bringing in the cultural element. Cultural yeah. A element. cultural... Yeah. So mm. how far the cultural element... Uh, when he says, Chris says that inner speech mm-hmm. or inner hearing, mm-hmm. whether culture plays an active role in that kind of thing. And you hear before you speak. So is is this an element of mimicking? Is this an element of mimicking? Is that what you're saying? Is that an element of mimesis? Is there a way of... Uh, or I, I am saying conditioning because uh, he was Shana Buddhalok, he was Hindu. Mm-hmm. So that kind of conditioning... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That plays an important role for uh, this kind of experience. Do kids introspect? I mean, is, is introspective faculty a faculty? Do you grow into it? Do you become better at it over time? Um, is there a way of understanding that, Chris? I think there are Not many, suggesting you know it, but many different intuition? types of inner awareness. Mm-hmm. And um, what, uh, being aware of a pain is very different than being aware of a thought. Um, and I think uh, right. being aware of a pain uh, is something that um, animals and children um, can do. Sure. Uh, but I think that um, awareness of thoughts uh, and emotions, say, 
um, uh, you need to con- you need some conceptualization, and uh, you need to have be able to um, you ha- need to have the idea of anger in order to be able to recognize yourself as angry. Hmm. And I think um, hmm. uh, young children don't have the necessary conceptual equipment uh, to be able to label their own internal states. And I think that um, for for you know s- some. Uh, forms of introspective awareness, you have to label uh, what you're, you know, that what you're aware of in order to be really aware of it. But right. with pain, you don't need the concept of pain to be aware of a pain or itching or um, uh, being burned. Uh, you, so these are li- largely biological phenomena. Yeah, but they involve inner awareness. It's not outer yes. perception. Um, it's uh, so. I'm just saying. I just mean to say, with, with respect to many questions it about introspection. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it seems to be very uh, highly automatized. I mean, it doesn't seem to be voluntary whether you're aware of your pains. Right. Um, so, I mean, uh, Promote is right. I think that some types of introspection require, you know, voluntary, voluntarily. Uh, um, it is effortful activity. It is effortful. Yeah, and, and, get and it's to effortful. An effortless yeah. state eventually. That's right. But you have to start yeah. by making an effort. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an instrument to do mm. this. Also, uh, relating to what Chris says and uh, what Jesse says, uh, you see the the cultural the cultural part of it, mm-hmm. or the you know thought idea symbol part of it. I have a feeling there are different levels and states in a human being. So, right. at a certain level, you are culture bound, but depending on your personality, you may be, rise above your own culture. For example, Carl Jung talks about a woman who has a vision of reality. Uh, she comes to, to Carl Jung and she says that, uh, Doctor, I, I have a snake in my st- stomach. Right. Just below the abdomen. Right. You know, it's three-fold curd. Right. And uh, I want it to go away. Right. So he was quite shocked. Right. You mean you have, you have snakes in your abdomen? I mean something like that because she, is not, she doesn't know whether whether this will get across to other people, whether they will understand it or not. Because in her own culture, she's seeing this as a person who belongs, let's say, who is in Germany. But she cannot express it to her own people because she has got a vision. Right. Now, So then she comes and talks to him and they have a course of about nine, ten days. And Carl Jung, but uh, since the he source visited, of yeah, I let you finish that and then pop yeah, the question. Carl yeah. Jung also spent a lot of time in India, mm-hmm. and uh, so he doesn't talk about it. But but we know that he he was aware of this tradition, this inner what is called Kundalini, Kundalini has, yeah, yoga, and then and, so on later, and yeah. then chakras rising up. Mm-hmm. and chakras and rising up. So at the end of the session of you know of this uh, ten days or seven days. She is totally free of all this. But what he's trying to say is that she had seen something inner, an inner reality, which was above her own culture. Or maybe she was just exposed to that. She saw a book or something somewhere. Nothing at all. That's the whole point. You know that famous physicist, Pauli, Ulfen Pauli. Yeah. And uh, he used to get solutions of very difficult mathematical problems in his dream. At will or in his dream, at, but could he like will it? Could he just go to sleep and wake up with a solution? Or no, no, no. It was obviously rare. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, there are a lot of correspondence with Carl Jung, and there is a book, the uh, later between of Pauli Jung and, and you? Pauli. Mm-hmm. So the problem is that even in the dream state, someone has experience, which is directly related to uh, some understanding in the awakening state. Hmm. 
I mean, he was right. thinking of the problem, but he got the solution in his dream state. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether it is a kind of introspection, introspective experience, or what is that? Jung will say, if I can. Yes. Jung would say that there are different ways of different personalities introspect differently. So an extrovert will introspect differently. He will be more analytical. Mm-hmm. He is conscious of what he is, say, mm-hmm. you know, analyzing. Whereas an introvert will be less analytical. Mm-hmm. So what? So how how would an introvert introspect? So the people who let's say solving problems mm-hmm. that seems to be a typically extrovert, an extrovert person trying to introspect, mm-hmm. and so he you know he she sort of addresses a problem and in the dream state she comes to a solution. That's not really a problem for if you look at uh, different, if you look at the relation between different types of personalities and. The act of interest. No, so, so I have yeah. a problem yeah. from neurobiological point of view. Yes, you know, awakening state and dream state. Yeah, they are dominated by uh, a oscillations in the brain called gamma oscillations. Okay, I mean large frequency oscillations. Mm-hmm. So, for neurobiologists, the problem is that how to differentiate awakening state and dream state, because both are dominated by same. Gamma oscillations. So, what right. what are the different states? I mean, for example, when you talk of the meditative state, is is that a, of a different nature? No, meditative states. Uh, I mean, and, uh, and I mean it in this the, for the more serious people and for the more serious. No, no, no. Meditative states are uh, depending on different types of meditation, mm-hmm. say vipassana. Then the gamma oscillations dominates. Mm-hmm. But in some other meditative state, the low frequency oscillations. Dominates mm-hmm. the low frequency also dominates in the deep sleep. Mm-hmm. So there, the issue is that whether the person is meditating or he is sleeping. So you need to differentiate again <laughs> between sleep state and meditative state. Yes. Yeah. From uh, what people have described who are into this meditation, it seems that often there is a very quick lapse. Mm-hmm. So people have said who have gone into meditation, they suddenly go into sleep, and right. then they they uh, they awake. Of course, they they were conscious, but they had no sort of control over them. So it's a border experience. Border yeah. experience. So mm-hmm. this can happen. That is, it is not. It, you know, you may be looking at things, investigating a person meditating, but he's actually gone to sleep. Mm. You know, mm. this is possibility. But for mm. that, you have to know. Actually, you have to be aware of these different stages, and scientifically, you have to find out at what stage he is, rather than saying that it's difficult to to I think to the, say yeah, that yeah, to yeah. say that the two are sure, uh, confused. Sure, sure. So, uh, if we were to ask the other question of what kinds of mental states are more difficult to access. So if, if one were, let's say, a somewhat realized yogi or you were able to meditate almost at will, um, are, are there some sorts of mental cognitive states which are still difficult to access? Can we bring in the difficulty notion here? Are there some mental states which are difficult to access, uh, Chris? Well, there's the general question of um, the scope of uh, introspection or how, right. how deeply it can penetrate any mental state. Right. Um, so, I mean, you might be able to access superficially uh, a mental state with introspection but not be able to get very deep uh, grasp of it. Um, Why is that? is that? Is that because those kinds of thoughts and ideas are largely 
preconceptual, subconceptual, pre-vocalized? Does it have to do with the nature of the mental state itself? Well, I think one thing is that um, introspection wasn't given to us uh, uh, by Mother Nature for the purposes of building theories. It was uh, <laughs> given, true. you know, it, it's uh, was given to us for practical reasons. Yeah, just to and survive. It's, you know, actually very hard to figure out what those practical reasons were. I mean, um, what does it guess? So, uh, well, I mean, you know, you need some kind of top-down control of uh, of your mental states when you're when you're problem solving. I mean, you need to uh, uh, be aware of. Um, what you've thought about in the past, what solutions you've tried out and thought uh, 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 and haven't worked so that you can, you know, not keep repeating, not keep reinventing the wheel. But you also have to remember the various stages of the sort of solution that you're working on now. Uh, uh, so you have to keep track of your own mental states in order to solve a problem. But I think there, there's beginning to be uh, a conjecture that uh, the reason for introspection is... Um, uh, partially social, uh, that right. um, you need to be able to, I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, interest in psychology uh, in our need to justify ourselves to other people, right. uh, to explain ourselves. Um, right. uh, you know, if I, um, so it's, you, it's you put down some, uh, you put down some meat somewhere, uh, and then I grab it, and, and you say, you stole my meat, I, you know, I need to be able to say, oh, I, it looked like you were through, to me, I, I thought like you were away. through with it. Uh, right. And then that might, uh, you know, justify. Uh, so you need to be able, but you also need to be able to tell um, uh, other people what you're going to, what your plans are. Um, you know, like, I'm going to go hunting in this area today. So it serves the purposes of both understanding as well as explaining. That's right. So it's uh, keeping track of our own mental states so we can exert top-down control on them. And to um, bring some kind of a coherence to everything. Th that's too. right, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That, that, exactly. That's probably the idea. Yeah, I mean, we want to see consistency, but... So, Chris, yeah. Chris, maybe I have a little query. Yeah. Some people say that it is the innate capacity of a person mm -hmm. to do introspections. Mm -hmm. And uh, even in our old Indian text, there is a famous scholar called Abhinava Gupta. Mm -hmm. His famous book, name of the famous book is mm -hmm. Pratyavigana Hridayam. Mm -hmm. In English, it is called Recognition. Mm -hmm. So, means already it was cognized, but you recognize the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It is in a meditative state. Mm -hmm. So, if I say it's the innate capacity, mm -hmm. what's the wrong in it? To do introspection, uh, I think there'd be a lot of agreement that it's a it's a innate capacity. But like many innate capacities, it takes time to develop, and there are various stages of development. So you know, um, uh, Chomskyans think that uh, we have a biological program uh, that enables us to learn languages. But of course, you know, you uh, it takes time to learn a language. I mean, you know, even if there's a very um, uh, 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 complex program directing a, a, a infant as it learns its language, still it needs data uh, uh, in order to, uh, to, order to, to, learn, to activate order to, that program. Yeah, and to, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think my, my, my guess is that introspection is like that, that there's are a... Are there stages to it? Um, are there stages to it, Pramod? There are, there are different uh, st stages in the terms of there not being a progression, but there are uh, types of uh, mental processes which are almost impossible to access mm -hmm. because they require when you have introspect you have a relation of being external so what are these? external to it right. away from it you have right. to move away from it right. to be able to see what 
uh, what happened. So there is an now, element of distance. Distance is very much involved. Right. Now what happens with certain mental processes is that the moment you distance yourself, you are not in them. For example, speech, the mental process of speaking. If I get into that, I could talk about what language is like, right. what linguistic rules are like, what right. linguistic representations are like, but that's impossible. So I resort to something else called intuition. Hmm. So the methodology that we use in linguistics is intuitive, close to introspection, but introspection cannot t show you. What do I mean by intuition? Uh, I will say, well, this particular sentence is fine, right. acceptable. Right. This is not so acceptable. So, so John, we, most of say, us know our grammar intuitively. Yeah. Um, so something like John said, uh, John asked what Mary liked, or John asked, uh, uh, say, Ramesh, uh, what Mary liked right. but you cannot if somebody says John asked Mary likes what right now that sort of thing is not acceptable so the speaker will say why because there are certain rules you know certain norms and so you can only talk about this you can only use your intuition to say what works and what doesn't work but you can't get into the mental recesses of your mind to say how the language is working for example. So there, there is... So even if you have confidence about you being right or wrong, you may not really know no. how or why no, because you have that confidence. No, yes. It's like representing reality, not reality itself. So you were on the stages question, yeah. uh, Pramod. Are there yeah. different stages to this introspective, meditative business? I'm sure there are different uh, stages in the sense that whereas... Um, in, when you start with introspection, it is very ephemeral, short-lived. You feel that you're going lapsing into, again, inner thinking, thoughts, your mind wavers. You can't, don't really focus. So what so happens is... So it's necessarily is, transient in the beginning? It just comes it's, and goes? It's very quick, very, very quick, very yeah, short-lived. And the importance is that to develop a stage or in stages, the ability to be able to stay on hmm. your object of introspection for a long time. Hmm. And then finally, of course, to stay away from any kind of introspection, to be away from all thoughts and thinking. So once you are able to have a full control over introspection, then you are ready to go on to uh, thoughtless thoughtlessness. So that's one thing, the stages part. And this thoughtless state, is it just being away from something very unstructured or it's... It is actually, thoughtless uh, state is actually being aware of everything. So that's the interesting part. That is, when you are thoughtless... So in a way, the other way to put it is that, is it empty or is it totally densely packed uniformly? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. is it... It is, yes. Well, it is because you have no thoughts of your own. So your brain is free mm. to see things to see reality. It is not biased. I'll give you an example. For example, if we, we are quiet for half a minute and we want to th and then think about uh, what how we were thinking about or you, our inner speech, we'll find that there are very clear two tendencies. One is to think about something that happened, your feelings, your emotions relating to it. And the other is to think about what is going to happen, your plans, etc how you are going to spend the evening. These are so the you're saying you think about either the past or the future, or the immediate in past in or general, the future? In general, mm. that's, uh, I suppose it's a well-known thing, that your mind wavers between the past, and sometimes we have personality types, mm -hmm. which are 
most past oriented feeling oriented or plan oriented future oriented mm. so your your mind actually is conditioned it's biased it mm. is not something that you do willfully mm. you have no control over it now mm. when you get into to your inner to your center that's the central nervous system as it is called when you get to the central nervous system then you are free from both and at that when you are free from the you're neither cold, in the past nor in the future in the yeah, present yeah you are not sort of given to the past thinking or the future thinking planning then you are can be set free you are on your in your central nervous system which is the source of all knowledge like every child knows that the sky is blue you don't have to tell that the water is cold so that knowledge I mean the words may be different but the fact that something is cold something is hot something is blue that comes that from the central knowledge. nervous system Hmm. Yeah, that's the so the central nervous system. Shishir, is the source. where are you on this? I think the 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 well, if we talk of the past future thing, or let's even more broadly talk of introspective state. Is it possible to empirically say that this is an introspective state and this is not? No, I I think. Uh, like if you if you wire my brain up or crystal no, brain I, up. No, I think the important yeah. issue comes memory. Mm-hmm. When but memory is always of the past, right? Yeah, memory always of the past. But uh, in a, what he is describing, a kind of uh, meditative state, mm-hmm. uh, that should be different from deep sleep. Mm-hmm. Because uh, deep sleep, we, we, we don't know. Uh, we are not aware of anything. So you're saying that the meditative state would be something like thuria, which is a totally different kind of state. Now thuria is the fourth state. Mm-hmm. Normally in uh, neuroscience we say awakening state, REM sleep, I mean dream state, and deep sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. but meditative state is somehow different from deep sleep, because in meditative state there is chaitanya or consciousness, awareness rather. Mm-hmm. But in deep sleep, we don't have awareness. that's fine yeah. so if you wire my head up would mm. you be able to say which state i am in no can you explain it more so if can you know so one way to understand whether somebody is in a meditative state is to get them to self declare it mm-hmm. but how is is it possible to know from the outside whether somebody is in a meditative state yes it's possible it is yeah but but again the intricate problem is that when he was telling about Uh, thoughtlessness it's very difficult to uh, how does one measure that yeah it's very difficult to put in the scanner because if there is no <laughs> outside stimulus mm-hmm. then there are spontaneous activity of the central nervous system spontaneous activity of the neurons but uh, the spontaneous activity they are not apparently random but they are not random exactly they are associated kind of distribution as it is kind of associated with distributions so how a persons can go into thoughtlessness state because I if there is distribution means some thoughts are arising but they may be subconscious thoughts maybe so when you say thoughtlessness i would imagine you mean consciously thoughtless yes you are conscious yeah. about it but you are not so uh, if there is some background vibrations or whatever it's yeah. in the subconscious state does that yeah. sound okay to you yes that sounds okay to me okay. The, the other thing about what she said <laughs> what she, she said the the last one about how do you measure how do you find out 
uh, I have uh, a feeling and it, it's not like we validate it only if one measures it. So I, no. th- I think. No, but there is uh, there are certain uh, ways to do it. It seems if you are developing a method technique mm-hmm. that uh, from the experience of people who meditate. Uh, it seems that when you are in deep meditation, the prana, the the shwas, the shwasa, tattva is minimal. You can measure it with what, what is prana? The, shwas, uh, the breath. The breath, the breath is almost gone. In deep meditative state, you will observe that the per- you can put your finger on the and they are nose. not breathing. So they're almost. It's like uh, we cannot explain. A near vegetative this state. This has been in very deep meditative state. Whereas in deep sleep, you are breathing. Sometimes breathing too loudly, actually <laughs> snoring or whatever. <laughs> so, so there is a way to distinguish it. But so it's, it's, it's almost nearly cut off from the world because you don't even need oxygen from outside or whatever. Cut off from the world. It seems physically, but consciously, you are not. Your consciousness. You would say you're tapped into the supra consciousness or yeah, whatever. You, mm. you. Whereas uh, consciously, you th- your uh, consciousness is limited, but when it is thoughtless, your consciousness is expanded, vast, unlimited. And that's the reason why it is important to achieve it for the inner growth of man. And that's uh, how the entire meditative tradition. Uh, explains this. Chris, you've done a little bit of meditation, have you? Yeah. What What does thoughtlessness mean to you as a philosopher, to the philosopher in you? Well, I think um, that there's more than one type of meditation. Uh, some are more active than others. The uh, kind I studied was uh, in the Vipassana tradition. Um, and um, we, we, we that you're in an active state, at least when you're a beginner. Right. Um, you're trying to attend to your breath uh, you're trying to maintain that attention, or you're perhaps trying to um, uh, focus your attention on one bodily sensation, mm-hmm. or in some cases to move your attention around your body, focusing on different. Sen- so that's a very active state. Um, uh, what happens but, in the most evolved state? But um, uh, but I I as a as a Westerner mm-hmm. um, uh, and somewhat interested in psychology, I I find it hard to understand. Um, the idea of a um, uh, a consciousness of everything. I mean, right. uh, I think awareness always involves representations of what you're aware of. And the brain only has room for um, a small number to, uh, to act, it's only able to activate a small number of representations at a time. I mean, that's why we have attention. It selects uh, from all of the inputs. I mean, I can't equally process everything in the room now, I could maybe only process the information coming from you at a very deep level. So attention is something that selects um, and... But at a uh, functional level, right, Chris? So if one needs to function, one needs to do one or two things. Um, But this, uh, and I have no clue whether there is supraconsciousness or not, um, it doesn't seem to have a functional purpose, does it? I mean, in a way, I'm trying to juxtapose the attention... If I should just add one detail, so I mean, but yes. uh, but I mean, I think that to be aware of something, you have to represent it, and uh, right. the brain can't maintain uh, a whole An lot of representations of in, yeah, in activity right. at one time. So I mean, that's so. So I mean, there's kind of a clash yeah. of cult y- of, yes. of uh, traditions of, of understanding things. I think uh, here. So, for example, the but, other way to understand this could be to say that. If you were to ask me or if I were to ask you, mm-hmm. um, what is your mental state just now? Mm-hmm. Is it possible to describe that faithfully, always? Uh, well, I mean, not fully, of course. Um, uh, 
I mean, a lot is happening at any one moment. But um, I think uh, there's control in the brain of um, uh, what can become conscious, and only a limited number of things can be conscious at, at one time. I mean, um, if I'm uh, carefully looking at the Taj Mahal, I probably am not going to be able to hear music, uh, um, uh, or at least the music is just... Or if I'm in a party and I'm talking to you, um, I um, uh, won't be able to hear the other conversations. You're able to zone out everything It'll just else. be some kind of, you know, flat noise, stream, yeah. Yeah, back background noise. Um, and they may disappear. It may disappear altogether. I mean, I may not know whether there are other conversations going on because I'm so focused on what... So, I mean, I think that's characteristic of the brain, this kind of limitation and focus. I think uh, that's fine. I think the question is... No, I think maybe... Yeah, uh, let let me just ask yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Chris. Maybe I, I agree with you one point. When you say awareness... Mm-hmm. So, uh, whether awareness can happen without uh, having any kind of structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Structure. Structure. Mm-hmm. Say, if you say point, mm-hmm. point doesn't have structure. Right. But if you say line, it has a structure. It is a relation. Right. So, when I say in the final stage, ultimate stage, aware of everything, does it say that there is no structure in the state, like emptiness in case of Nagarjun? Philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, but if you say that there exist relations, mm-hmm. then the question comes: relation is not real, according to Dharmakirti's text, mm-hmm. philosophy of relation. What does that mean? That relation is not real. Uh, you, you you take two entities A and B, uh-huh. and we say that there is a relation between A and B, like uh-huh. father and sons. Sure. Causal relations. Sure. So or na- relation of any kind. It yeah. Doesn't matter. So what Nagarjun says that in the ultimate stage, in what he called emptiness, the entities don't have their intrinsic properties. They're only relational. Only or? relational. Now, if the relation is a mental construct, then when I say aware of something, so aware of what? If aware of relation, again, relation is a mental construction. It's not real. So, awareness of what? That question comes. I normally, when you say aware, aware of something. Well, uh, yeah, I no, I think that, that's the question we are, we are yeah. all grappling with. Yeah. That does awareness need an off? Yeah. Right? I think well, that's, that's precisely the question we are on. Where are you on that promotion? Yes, I, I, I have a feeling that. Uh, at some stage, there is no distinction made between consciousness and awareness, mm-hmm. but uh, there is a, a, a certainly a distinction to be made, and the distinction will be valid. Uh, what Shishir is saying, awareness, for example, I'm aware that uh, that I have my hands and fingers, right? But if an insect bites me and I have pain, then I'm conscious of that pain. So there is a consciousness is more directed at a certain object. Awareness is general. I can't say that I have hands and I have feet, and I, but I know that I have my this entire body or where I am. So awareness I, is not directed consciousness. Not I mean, we can yes. pick, a, pick and choose yeah. our words, yeah. but awareness so this is, is more spiky. This is of yeah. an event. Consciousness is more object-oriented. So awareness is not eventful. It's Aware- not an event. Yes. Awareness is not an event. Awareness is, yes, you can say that, not a happening. And right. Awareness is a general state of your mind brain. 
And uh, so when you say thoughtless awareness simply means your mind gets free of thought and then you are generally aware. That doesn't mean to clarify it for you. That doesn't mean that I am all the time thinking about something or the mind, my brain is processing. I gave an example of these uh, village women, uh, you know, going with pictures on, on their, their heads, heads right. where they are, you know, talking, laughing, everything. But the picture is, remains where it is. It doesn't fall down and break It doesn't off. fall down. They are doing other things. But the picture remains because that awareness remains. And so awareness is also brings in a certain... In fact, that's the kind of awareness where you're necessarily unconscious of it. Yes. But you have sort of this, some, some way... But you're still... In, I mean, you're paying attention to You're aware to of this, <laughs> but you're not doing anything. You know, you're not conscious. The moment you become conscious of that, then maybe there will be, uh, there will be things, problems. But awareness, so awareness and consciousness can be distinguished in terms of one being localized and the other being very general, non-objectified. And that's the way... And how robust are these boundaries? Is it possible to dip Sem into... Semantic. It's all semantic. It's semantic. No, but you, you know, there is a problem. There is a problem. People say that even an individual neuron yes. is conscious. Does but it mean anything at all? Yes, it means, let me tell you. Self-aware. Uh, uh, no, self-aware. <laughs> but in the ensemble state, I mean, if you take a group of neurons, then we say global consciousness. Mm -hmm. I mean, global means all over the brain. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the issue is to, issue to neuroscientists is that whether each cell is aware of itself or each cell is conscious of itself. And something happens so that in the ensemble state, we have what we call global consciousness. The issue is still not settled. So, uh, yeah, there is then a difference really between also self-awareness and self-consciousness. Yes. You see, I'm self-conscious. I have to speak. But I'm self-aware. I am not really, really conscious, deliberate. Uh, I'm going to do this. But I'm self-aware. So there is uh, both ways whether you add self to it. So what you described, in if we have to make a distinction between self-consciousness and self-awareness, maybe awareness would be a better term. So suppose uh, there is a fire in this building. Yeah. You'll say, run. That's you don't say, let me run. Yeah, but... Okay, you say run. What does that mean? I mean it means... I could also say, let me run. Uh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> You'll say run. Normally, we say run. Yes. So, <laughs> you are, it means you are not self-aware. But you are aware that something happened. What's the future of this question? What's, what's the most important question here for you, Chris? The future of uh, the subject is very bright, I think, because we can now use scanners to... Um, check up on testimony that people have. Scanners are still uh, very crude. I mean, fMRI can't... So you have a physicalist kind of tendency on this um, question? Well, I mean, I, the question arose earlier, how can you verify introspection? I mean, maybe people yes. are just always wrong about what when they say, or yeah. often wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but, but in science, uh, other branches of science, you can, uh, one experimenter can check up on the experiments of another one by repeating it. But, yes, there's you know, a certain kind of verifiability which is not here. Yeah, you, so you can't um, uh, introspect my thoughts and see if I'm... So I mean, I think scanners give us um, uh, some uh, purchase on on the reliability of introspection. And if 
uh, some kinds of introspection turn out to be very reliable, then science will be able to use them in a way it hasn't dared to use them uh, so far because of this uncheckability issue. So, I mean, I think as, as scanners become more subtle and accurate um, uh, and we're able to check up on uh, introspective testimony more and more, uh, we'll be able to um, start to use introspection as an instrument in psychological uh, investigations. But uh, up to now, that hasn't been possible because of this checkability issue. No, no, Chris, there are some works already published. Mm -hmm. They say electrophysiology of introspection. Yeah, that's right, that, that EEG too, yeah. yeah. And... Yeah. Is there a way to say how one can introspect better? So one one is something for the purposes of science and for making better scanners. But if I want to know how I can access my own mental states better, what am I supposed to do? Just meditate? I mean, is is is, is Medi meditation helps with some does. things, but yeah. it's not. I mean, insofar as it it involves attending to something. I mean, the more you attend to something, you know, the the better your grasp of it. Right. Uh, and you can. I mean, one, the, the great thing about meditation, the history of meditation, it shows that you can kind of build your attentional muscle. You can right. uh, strengthen the power of your attention over time. And there's science, some scientific confirmation of this already. Right. Um, but um, it's not known whether um, uh, we don't understand what it is to attend to thoughts yet. Uh, we understand what it is to attend to pain or visual experience, but attending to thoughts is still a very nebulous. Uh, so it's not so clear that we can, since we don't understand what attention and is. And where are philosophers in this, uh, Chris? Where are philosophers in this? On this question of what does it mean to attend to thoughts? Because, uh, you know, you've kind of got some perspective of uh, the, the psychologists and some of the yeah. others. So, okay, so, I mean, I... Um, uh it would take some time to go into the various philosophical theories, but I mean, one theory. Um, uh, I mean, from an, from a philosophical perspective, yeah, or yeah, for yeah, philosophers, yeah. is is introspection a valid, legitimate, solid way of getting to something? Yeah, it depends on because, the type of introspection. Because earlier Shishir spoke yeah. about empiricism and introspection. Yeah. And, you know, of course, one can say whatever one can, but how does one know whether whatever Abhinav Gupta or somebody did, is it is it likely to lead in a decent enough direction? There are different types of introspection. I mean, you have to be a pluralist, and I think, sure. you know, some, think, some types are better understood than others. Mm -hmm. uh, with respect to introspective awareness of thoughts and beliefs, um, that's still very speculative it, within in their philosophical theories. I mean, um, this philosopher Gareth Evans said, um, if you, somebody asks you, uh, do you believe there will be a third world war? Um, you don't look inside to answer that question. Instead, you replace it with a question, will there be a third world war? You, uh, you change it it's into not a question a about question. the world. Yes. And um, then you work out the answer to that. And then after you've worked out your answer, like, yes, there will be a third world war, perhaps, uh, uh, that might be your answer, uh, then you infer from this judgment about the world that you have a belief. So right. that's very different than what happens with awareness of pain. Right. Um, and... Um, uh, attention is probably very different in this case, and I mean, you're attending to the world, not to your own, uh, not to your own, in the insides of your own body. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, they're different. You know, it seems like you have to be pluralistic about the kinds of introspection, and you may be optimistic about the future of one kind and not so optimistic about the future of another, um, uh, or think one kind is very hard to understand, uh, and another kind is is more. 
uh, but accessible. broadly speaking is is introspective knowledge believed to be more or less reliable by philosophers which is what most philosophers do all the time i would imagine it was it was believed to be supremely reliable by descartes uh, or by earlier uh, philosophers and then, it obviously uh, then there was fell a, away a very skeptical away. period in the 20th century but i think that um, people are beginning to be more optimistic uh, uh, now but it's all, but people have all, in philosophy have always questioned scientists. I mean, when Nisbet and Wilson said, "Oh, introspection always involves, um, you know, um, uh, confabulation," scientists, uh, philosophers have said, "No, that's not true. Pain yeah. doesn't involve uh, uh, confabulation." Right. Right. So we, we're more maybe used to making distinctions than right. uh, the scientists have been. Right. Shishir, what's the future? What's the I, future I mean, of uh, this? Krish uh, Krish pointed out one very important point, like. Uh, uh, you raised the question uh, that uh, meditative states or the introspective, how it helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, nowadays, scientifically, it claims that it enhances cognitive abilities. Mm-hmm. That's one of the positive points. So you become more introspective. It, it gives us a lot of benefits. Why is being more introspective good? Because it enhances your cognitive abilities. What does that mean? Like I Memory. It enhances your memory. Okay. Because many people are nowadays uh, deficient of uh, cognitive abilities, and that can be enhanced. Yeah, you go, <laughs> you, you go, go on the scanner. I myself went on the scanner, and neuroscientists say that you have some deficient cognitive abilities. <laughs> and so, what's the way? <laughs> she told you go for meditation. She's a neuroscientist. Were you upset, Shashir, that somebody was doubting your cognitive abilities? <laughs> <laughs> no, she took a imaging, and from imaging data, she is t- telling her did observation you, may, may be wrong. But did you tell so we are now in rationalizing <laughs> territory. So that's 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 fine. Interesting. What's the future, Pramod? We'll end with you. Well, for for me, the future is really very very bright. There there are two things. One is the use, utility of the understanding about introspection, and the other is the investigation of it. Mm. The investigation is has to be scientific. There is no better way th- than science to be able to understand a phenomenon mm. because it's observable, verifiable. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think the time is ripe now with all these various sophisticated equipment coming up and this long tradition of uh, all cultures giving importance to introspection meditation. There's hardly any culture which doesn't. So we'd only need to be familiar with those cultures. As Chris rightly said, Descartes, for example, started with the meditative uh, method. I mean, he he, he, he would rely heavily on investigation. Right. He could have titled his work Investigation, but he calls it Meditations because he thought that that could be one way of getting to know. And so like the fa- famous electricity person, Edison, when he gave his first presentation, he showed the audience, this is how this positive and negative sides and so on, and then the bulb light. So somebody said, of what use is it? And Edison said, of what use is a newborn babe? You have to spend a lot of time raising the newborn babe. Actually, you have to spend so much energy. So Don't judge cons- babies as while they're babies. Let them grow yes, up. Yes, <laughs> yes. So that's the value of the study of introspection. The future, to my mind, is very bright. What's the future of your empiricism versus uh, introspection question? And at some level, this versus seems a little too strongly placed because clearly you can't introspect and figure out what the origin of the universe was, can you? Uh, you you can't figure out whether 
are we are we overreaching underreaching what's the future of this question what's your intuition no i mean if you want to study introspection with scientific methods mm-hmm. then i think gap will be more and more reduced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because if you have if you did your research with different methodology than we what we use in science then it will be different correct but you are applying the same methodology as you do in science correct 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 thanks thanks to all of you for making it we look forward to having you all soon again thank you take care thank you thank you thank you